BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Ben Jarofsky Show, four-year <laughs> Tuesday, December 17th. is just moments away. But before we get into this, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. First up, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 and District 8, sponsor this program, as well as the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, and the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. We thank those unions for jumping on board and sponsoring this program. And, of course, today's Ben Jarofsky Show is brought to you by our good friends, at the Chicago Federation of Labor live stream chat, weigh in, and if you can hear us, Ben, let it rip. Who can make the rainfall? Bee -dee 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 -dee. The candy man can. I see all these pictures of marijuana. For some reason, I think of the candy man. You know who sings the candy man? Sammy Davis Jr. The great Sammy Davis Jr. Let's have a moment of pause to reflect on his utter, total greatness. <laughs> there we go. The candy man can. The Ben Jarowski Show starts now. <laughs> Candyman can. It is Tuesday, December 17th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, our Chicago Reader colleague Maya Duke-Masova returns, and Troy LaRavier, president of the Chicago Principals Association. And now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Benny J. Benjarovsky. Hello, everybody. Benjarovsky here. We're calling this Flessner Gate Tuesday. And here's what? <laughs> great week. You have a good weekend, D? Yeah, had a great weekend. Wait, what's Two it? days ago. <laughs> Wait, by the way, folks. The only podcast on the planet that talks about the weekend on Tuesday. Well, because I wasn't here Monday. I was hard at work. Slaving on my reader column and my reader <laughs> newsletter. Well, it's your world, we're just living in it, buddy. <laughs> Work harder, man. Anyway, so I, you know, I didn't get a chance to come on and say, "Hey, what a great weekend!" By the way, Doctor D uh, went down to his hometown of Alton. You have a good time in Alton, D? Yeah, it was great. It started snowing on Sunday. We had to get the snowing the, the fo yeah is that right yeah snow yeah they snow. snow in alton yeah five hours south they have snow wow things i learned anyway so that was the weekend i saw a great movie i urge everybody to run don't walk dark water mark ruffalo uh it's a great story about corporate malfeasance and uh an intrepid lawyer who uh digs deep to find uh the what's going on with dupont by the way another movie i saw oh my goodness i didn't even get a, did i talk about this last week i can't remember the report have you did i talk about that last I week? i don't think you did that is a great flick i um it's on amazon hey so i'm gonna say something good about amazon all right it's on amazon so there's Correct. something thank you uh uh muller uh and by the way where's my mother report oh it's on the floor <laughs> things change I'm like, where's my mother report i need my mother reports like you know linus with his blanket i need my mother report um 
Anyway, the report, great flick. I urge everybody to watch it. You know, it's getting, I'm, I'm going through this thing. This is not what I was going to talk about, Gate, but on a tangent within a tangent. I'm going through this. I'm going to talk to Troy LaRavier about this, by reassessing Barack Obama's presidency. And I have to admit that I, I was just so overwhelmed with gratitude when he got elected in 2008. I thought it was such a great achievement. Many, many reasons, uh, personal as well as political, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, and I did not really spend a lot, as much attention. I, here's a confession to I'm making a confession. Uh, I did not spend. <laughs> I did not spend as much time as I should have following what he was up to, and now I'm reading about it. Been doing a lot of reading on Barack Obama's presidency. A couple books overdue at Chicago Public Library. Thank you, Lori Lightfoot, for changing the policy, so that can be overdue and not get fined. Uh, and uh, this movie, the report, which talks about an investigation by a Senate uh, congressional, a Senate aide played by Adam Driver, uh, into torture that took place during the Bush administration era, but Obama administration was really resisting the release of that report, trying to redact that report on the grounds that he didn't want to look like he was being partisan. Oh my goodness. When I when I heard the officials in this movie, the, the Obama administration officials explaining uh, that to uh, this Adam Driver uh, character who was a, a senatorial aide, that they didn't want to aggravate the Republicans, so they were going to bury the truth. It just, I don't know, Democrats, you may want to rethink this whole strategy of like pretending there's bipartisanship when there is no bipartisanship, because you end up undercutting the ver very values that distinguish you from the Republicans. Anyway, that's... I was a tangent within a tangent. Now let me get to Flessner Gate. That's the next Ben Jarofsky podcast coming. <laughs> a tangent within a tangent by Ben Jarofsky. Could you write that down? Talk to Troy about Obama administration, all right? No, you'll remember it. <laughs> oh, you put my memory. My memory. Uh, anyway. Oh, Flessner Gate. All right. Now you're all mixed up. You're going, wait a minute. Is that the one where the guy was caught drinking at a bar in the loop and making out with a woman who was not his wife? No! That's Eddie Gate. All right, keep your gates in order, listeners. This is Flesner Gate. I know most of you are out there going, who? What? Never heard of Flesner. All right. I'll take some time. This is a complicated story. Maya's going to take the deep dive on it. We're going to have some, uh, we're going to talk a bit about this. Very revealing in many ways. All right, so I'm always worried about our out-of-state listeners, D. I'm always worried about our out-of-Chicago listeners. You know what I'm saying? I'm always worried about people who are not, like, up-to-date and, like, really living and breathing every story that comes across uh, our desk because they don't know what the heck we're talking about half the time. Whereas most, like, Chicago reporters, like, they, there's one story that pops up and they immediately think they know everything about it and they just speak in shorthand. <laughs> and then, you know, Flessner, Flessner. Nobody knows who Flessner is. All right, one, take it one step at a time. His name is Mark Flessner. He's the City Corporation Council. The City Corporation Council is the top lawyer in the mayor's administration. Lori Lightfoot picked this guy to be in charge of the law department. If you have a visual in your mind, folks, he is the lawyer who sits next to Lori Lightfoot at city council meetings and whispers in her ear. Have you ever noticed that at a meeting or a hearing, a witness or anybody always has a lawyer whispering in their ear? This goes back to Watergate. When we do this show, Dennis is always whispering in my ear. I'm like, you go to this is the microphone, just like this one. You can see this on the thing. And so you speaking to the microphone. Uh, my name is Lori Lightfoot. I'm the mayor of the city of Chicago. Hold on. And then she puts her hand over the microphone, leans over, usually to her left, and there's Flessner. 
whispering in her ear. No one knows what he's saying. Killing it on the sound effects today. <laughs> That's corporation counsel. Yeah, like All that right? dude from Police Academy. By the way, I could, <laughs> I could do that job. I could be the guy that whispers in the mayor's. You don't have to go to law school to whisper. Where are you going for lunch, mayor? Oh, I don't know. Remember in The Godfather? Godfather 2? My favorite scene with um, uh, Al Pacino's character. You know, he's, he's testifying in that Senate hearing. And his lawyer, played by who? Robert Duvall. Come on, get it straight, young man. Whispers in his ear. So that's Flesner's job. He whispers in Lori Lightfoot's ear. Anyway, turns out that Flesner lives in Naperville. All right, why is that a big deal? Well, Naperville is a suburb outside of Chicago. It's not in Chicago, and we have something called residency requirements. If you work for the city of Chicago, you have to live in the city of Chicago. A lot of ordinary human beings who are like teachers and policemen and streets and sanitation workers, they get in big time trouble, and it turns out that they don't live in the city of Chicago. They lose their job, there's investigations. The city of Chicago actually play, pays investigators to investigate whether a teacher lives in the city or whether the teacher, I know teachers who've been investigated and their names will not be mentioned because I think it's a bogus law in many ways. We can talk about residence requirements uh, all day. That's a whole other story. But here's the deal. If a teacher in the city of Chicago has to live in the city or can lose his or her job, why does not that not apply to the number one lawyer? in the city of Chicago, handpicked by Lori Lightfoot for the all-important job of whispering in her ear at a city council hearing. Let's go have Taco Bell. Okay. Oh, I love Taco Bell. <laughs> I knew that would get your engine. Taco Bell would get your shredded chicken burrito. So anyway, doesn't live in the city of Chicago. How do they know that? Because my man, Tom Tommy Schubert. Is this guy like the hardest working reporter in the city of Chicago now? Has tag team with Fran Spielman, the legend city hall, legendary city hall reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times who does a show in this very room, D. Did you know that? Yeah. In this very yeah. room. Yeah, I knew that. All right, they tag team on this story. It's Shuba, man. <laughs> Shuba, everybody said, wait, isn't Tom Shuba the guy that covers Reefer? Yes, that's correct. But apparently there's enough time in the day for Shuba to also do stories about where does Flesner live? He's a hustler, baby. He, he is a hardworking man, uh, Tom Shuba, the pride and joy of Evansville, Illinois. Anyway. So it turns out that Flesner has a home in Naperville and a condo in the South Loop. He acquired the condo in the South Loop. He claims he lives there now that he's uh, the Corporation Council of the City of Chicago. When Tommy Shuba first broke the story and questioned uh, Lori Lightfoot about it, or maybe it was Fran that questioned Lori Lightfoot about it, Lori Lightfoot said very defiantly, that's totally false. That's totally false. Humph! Guess what? Tommy Shuba and Fran Spielman were right. The guy did have a home in Naperville and an apartment or a condo in the South Loop, and he was claiming property tax exemptions on both. You can only claim one property tax exemption, folks, because you're only supposed to have one real house. So which one is it, the South Loop or the Naperville? After which, afterwards, do you think Lori Lightfoot said, Tommy Shuba, I'd like to apologize to you for saying your story is totally false? Do you think she said, Fran Spielman, I'd like to apologize for you for saying that's totally false? Negatory. They said, oops, we, <laughs> we may have made a mistake. Turns out he does. He does. He did claim two uh, uh, homeowners exemptions, but he's going to pay it back. It was just an innocent mistake, dude. Yeah. All right? Yeah. So... Here's the lesson you should learn. When a Chicago teacher 
has an apartment, let's say, in Oak Park and an apartment in the city of Chicago and is discovered and he or she is fired, that's a serious violation of the rules. And rules were meant to be enforced. And when you break a rule, you pay a consequence because that's how it happens in America. But when the number one lawyer in the city of Chicago has a home in the suburbs and a home in the city, oh, come on. Why do they have erasers on the end of pencils? People make mistakes. Come on, Ben. Give the give old Flesner a break, all right? Okay, I get to. So it's a serious violation of the most important rule in the world when a teacher does it, but it's, hey, hey, that's why pencils have erasers when the number one lawyer in the city of Chicago doesn't have it. Here, we get to the heart of Flesner Gate. All right, D? Well, I, we've just been on the edges of Flesner Gate. Here is the real story in Flesner Gate. Follow me, folks. This Tommy Shuba is such a hard-hitting reporter and such a great investigative reporter that he took the deep dive to see where did Flesner vote. And what did he discover? He discovered that in 2018, Mark Flesner, the number one lawyer in the city of Chicago, the, the guy who whispers in the Lori Lightfoot's ear at the city council meeting. How's that sound again? Where you gotta go for lunch? There you go, guys. Let's pretend we're saying something real serious. We're not really saying anything at all. Okay. Uh, I love McDonald's Big Macs. Yeah, me too. Uh, how about Mitch Trubisky? He sucks. I know. No sports. Oh, sorry. Bears suck. Uh, anyway, <laughs> by, by the way, that's something that Lori and Lightfoot and I totally agree. No I hope she does. Oh, sports. Sorry. Anyway, where was I? Oh, Flesner Gate. Go back to Flesner Gate. Tommy Shuba discovered that Flesner took a uh, voted in Naperville in the primary of 2018, the gubernatorial primary of 2018. And here is the mo most outrageous thing, in my humble opinion, that Tommy Shuba uncovered in his investigation and Franz Spielman uncovered in their investigation. I don't know which one uncovered it, so I should give both of them credit. When he voted, when Mark Flesner voted, follow me folks, when Mark Flesner voted in 2018 in Naperville in the gubernatorial primary, he had a choice. He could have taken a Democratic ballot or he could have taken a Republican ballot. Guess which ballot he took, young Dennis? Democrat. <laughs> no. This is the most serious violation of all. He took a Republican ballot. And number one, in other words, the number one lawyer for the city of Chicago, the lawyer that Lori Lightfoot chose to whisper in her ear at city council here, hey, I think we go to McDonald's. I don't know, man. Yeah, we, <laughs> they got the pizza over Gulliver's. Whoa, pizza. Dang, man. Let's pretend we're having a real serious conversation, okay? How about those bears? Yeah, they suck. Anyway, the number one most important lawyer in the city of Chicago, the man who's shaping legal policy for the city on all things like unions and environment and work-related rules, is a freaking Republican. I'm like, are you for real? You're telling me there were no Democratic lawyers you could take? I know I myself, D, and I'm not a lawyer. I could probably name 20 Democratic lawyers that she could have hired. Uh, to be the person who sits next to her at the city council meeting and whispers in her ear, hey, what's going on? The guy is, not only that, think about this, folks. It, it's not like there wasn't competition in 2018 on the Democratic side. Deep, here you go. We were on the radio together back in 2018, you may recall. For 10 trivia points, 
Name the Democratic gubernatorial candidates that Mark Flessner could have voted for if he had taken a Democratic ballot. Go ahead, young man. Go. Chris Kennedy. One. J.B. Pritzker. Two. Daniel Biss. Danny Biss. Three. Teal Hardeman. Whoa! How did you get Hardeman? That's awesome, dude! Uh, Three-state guy. I don't remember him. Come on! What's his name? His name is not three-state guy. I can't remember his name. I think it's Robert Marshall. Oh, you think, huh? Okay. Awesome. You don't know either. That's five. Uh, And uh, the man I voted for in the primary, we got to get down to business, Mr. Bob Diber, the downstate Democrat. Flessner, you should have voted for Diber. But I'll say this. Any one of those six candidates, including the (laughs) three-state guy, would have been better than who you voted for in the Republican primary because your choice in the Republican primary was Bruce Rauner or Jeannie Ives. You mean to tell me that the only lawyer that Lori Yay Lightfoot for our <laughs> teachers! Yay for our teachers! Little late there, Rounder. Come on. Uh, yeah, Rounder. Come on. Get your game together. He's slow, man. He hasn't been governor in about uh, over a year. You mean to tell me, Lori Lightfoot, that the person you thought was most qualified to be the chief corporation counsel, city of Chicago, was a guy who voted for either Jeannie Ives or Bruce Rounder? I don't come on. I think more investigation. Tommy Shuba, I think you should file a FOIA. Can you do a FOIA request? Find out who Flessner voted for in the 2018 gubernatorial. I think you should file a FOIA and get back to me right away. We got a great show today, everybody. Absolutely great show. Maya will be here. She's all fired up to talk about uh, Flessner Gate and other issues of the day. Troy LaRabier from the Chicago Principals Association will be here as well. Um, I, I didn't even know what I'm going to talk about with Troy. I may do a little Flessner Gate with Troy, may talk some politics with Troy. That's a way to reel him in to keep listening. You know, I don't know what I'm going to talk about. With Troy. There we go. (laughs) Bring him in, Benny. (laughs) And by the way, Miles has returned. Miles has returned. Miles. Get your face in the camera there. Say hey. He's back. The great Miles Porter. He's on break from college. He said he'd stop by, and I appreciate that. Miles and I will be doing a uh, one of our famous Bulls conversations on Thursday. Joe Colley from the Chicago Sun-Times will be joining us. Dr. D will. The only time Dennis lets me talk about sports is we do our special Bulls uh, bonus features where we talk about the Bulls. And you, and Dennis actually, you know, he tries to pretend we, oh, I'm above sports. I'm, I'm too important. And serious. Yeah, that's me. Turns <laughs> a guy watches NBA highlights every night, folks. Just letting that one out. House of Highlights. Yeah. Check it out, everybody. Uh, so we'll be talking uh, with Miles on Thursday. Uh, Bulls. Oh, my God. We have so many great bonus episodes ahead of us. Mark Bazer will be doing a bonus feature with us. Carlos Ramirez Rosso will be doing uh, a, uh, a bonus feature with us. Stacy Davis Gates will be coming into the studio. we got a lot of great guests coming up. But today, I'm focusing D, Please. Maya, and Troy. And before we get to any of that, the young man from Alton with the news. Oh. Hey there, how's it going, everybody? My name's Dennis. Yes, I am from Alton. But I'm not a doctor. Come on, Ben, give Flessner a break. <laughs> Wait, time out. Who do you vote for, in your humble opinion? He, he had a choice. Jeannie Ives or Bruce, what a heck of a choice. Oh, this huh? feller's got Ives written all over him. <laughs> I think you better clear that one up, uh, Lori. Did your guy vote for Jeannie Ives? That's pretty embarrassing. Jeannie Ives is so far to the right. 
You know, she's just like, she falls off the map. She's even to the right of the Chicago Tribune editorial. Actually, I'm not quite sure she is to the right of the Chicago Tribune editorial board, Dean. Oh, uh, before we get going into the news here, uh, Brianna weighed in on the YouTube live stream chat with a great question. Uh, what is the holiday schedule for the show? Great mm. question. Christmas Eve, we're doing a show. Christmas Day, no show. And uh, day after Christmas, a show. So just Christmas Day, we're taking the... Uh, and same thing the next week. Yeah, the next week as well. We're the hardest working podcasters in the business, man. We're taking off Christmas Day uh, and uh, New Year's Day, but we'll probably have something posted. The young doctor from Alton will figure something out. That brain of his folks is like... Uh, when it comes to podcasting. So we'll definitely have some drop on uh, Christmas Day and uh, uh, New Year's Day. But for the rest of the week, we'll be live. We've got guests lined up. Like I said, Stacey Davis-Gates will be in here. Uh, we have some great guests already lined up for both weeks. So, yeah, we're we're what's that what is it got to get down to business we're gonna get down to business all right not a doctor let's find out what's happening in chicago and or illinois this afternoon first up illinois governor jb pritzker surprise surprise today our governor is where he always is governor pritzker's in chicago he's at the chain <laughs> you mean he's not at all no he's no he's always in chicago uh today he's at the james r thompson center to unveil the state menorah with community and faith leaders and, you know, I'm sure the governor is ready for the new year to begin, like the rest of us here in Illinois, because with the new year comes new rules and regulations on recreational reefer. It'll be legal. Yeah. And those with low level marijuana convictions will have their records expunged. Sadly, I don't think a lot of people without marijuana convictions really think or necessarily care about that part. No, all they want to know is <laughs> how they can get them some of that legal weed come January. That's correct. <laughs> It's like that damn chicken sandwich all over again, Ben. Well, sad news, soon to be potheads. There's a good chance you may be waiting a while because according to Chicago Sun-Times reefer writer and dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show, one Tommy Shuba. <laughs> Shuba's all over the place. I'm telling you. State lawmakers are warning that there will be bumps in the road to selling cannabis, including possible shortages of the product. According to a letter addressed to the media and a letter signed by state senators Heather Staines and Laura Fine and our good friend, state rep Kelly Cassidy. Casey. Each state has implemented an adult-use cannabis program, and it's had some issues related to supply shortages. Governor J.B. Pritzker's office uh, said that the administration is actively monitoring supplies. Shuba took the deep dive here and reminds us of another plus on this 2020 reefer bill. Illinois is the only state in the country to write protections for medical cannabis patients into law. Yeah, that's good. That's absolutely good. You should be at the top of the list if you need it for medical reasons. Of course, I would argue that everybody needs it for medical reasons because the whole point you take reefer is that life is so freaking unbearably miserable that you need a little something to help you get through it. Why do you think people drink? Same thing. But anyway, so there's a medical justification for anybody who smokes reefer. The new state law legalizing cannabis requires dispensaries to make sure it's available to medical patients ahead of those wanting to buy it for, you know, just... Sitting around at home watching oh, YouTube, you as, know? As recreational though, use. Yeah, recreational use as though that's not, you know, somehow or other medicinal because life sucks. Did I tell you life sucks, Steve? <laughs> oh, right. And he needs a little reefer to get through it? Glass half full over at the Jarofsky <laughs> household. What do I get? I get through with my beloved bulls. That enables me to get through life. Lately, that's not really been helping. To keep their priorities straight, dispensaries will face fines of up to $10,000 and could see their licenses revoked if products for patients aren't available once recreational sales start. Wait, so. So time out. If uh, a dispensary is caught selling recreational weed to, let's say, Dennis, as opposed to... <laughs> hey, everybody. 
as opposed to selling it to someone who has a medical license, then they could get fined. Yes. So in other words, first in line are people with the medical, uh, here, here. That's correct. The governor's office tells the Chicago Sun-Times that it's working to ensure supply is protected for patients who rely on it. Bad actors who violate the law will face consequences. Bad actors? Yeah. <laughs> you mean like, uh, when, I'm trying to think of a bad actor. Uh, <laughs> when businesses open January 1st, it will be just the first phase. Shaquille O'Neal. Okay, that's, that's what, a bad actor. Have you ever is. seen Blue Chips? All right, that is a bad actor. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait, what's my line again? When businesses open January 1st, it will be just the first phase of this long-term rollout. The administration will continue to monitor supply as we implement and administer the program. All right, Ben Jarofsky, now we're crazy to think that this new law is going to go off without some kind of a hitch here. We may have a supply issue to iron out come January. Now, I already know you have your gripes about it, and more on that in moments. Ben wrote his latest column about this, but Ben, please try to wait until the end of the segment to gripe more about it. But Ben, you must admit... It is nice to see another plus coming out of this reefer bill. People who actually need cannabis for medical purposes are first in line to get it. Ben, in your humble opinion, will this supply shortage be a temporary problem, or should everyone who wants to enjoy it recreationally just jump on the dentist plan, just keep buying from the regular <laughs> weed dealer and act like it's still illegal? I, I'm, I'm a more and more an advocate of the dentist plan. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I, of course, fought vigorously for years uh, to legalize reefer. It's outrageous that it was ever illegal, and it's doubly outrageous that the only people that ever got punished for it were basically black people, okay? So everything about it was horrific. Uh, but that said, it, the rollout is just, I'm finding it so exceedingly annoying on so many levels uh, that I almost wish it were illegal again without the arrests. But here's the part I don't get. Now, it has been true, I must confess, this is confession time, I must confess that I have not uh, smoked reefer in many, many years. In fact, I don't think anybody in the studio currently right now was born the last time I smoked a joint. How about that? That's how long, that's how long ago it was. I've got nothing but millennials. The only in person there. I've met that brags about being old, but go ahead. <laughs> I'm old. Isn't that cool? Just, no, no. So it was a long time ago, but back in the day, I was known to smoke a joint or two or three or four and purchase stuff. And I have to tell you, I have a confession to make. I got to tell you this, D. Never once in all those years of the 70s, when I was smoking reefer like a chimney, all right, usually out on the rocks, hmm, that's the best place to smoke marijuana, ladies and gentlemen, along the rock. Is it going to be illegal to smoke marijuana on the, along the lakefront, D? I'm looking. I imagine so. <laughs> Maya, is it going to yeah. be illegal? Yeah, you're not. You can't be out in public. That no. sucks, man. Anyway, but you know people are going to be doing it. I know. Anyway. <laughs> it was the best place back in the '70s to smoke. You sit out there. You listen to some Tower of Power, man. You grooving on that reefer. Anyway, that's that I, old, I, dry '70s reefer. Wait, first of all, you weren't even around <laughs> in the '70s. You're. I'm going to defend '70s reefer. You weren't even there at the time, Maya. You all weren't right. even born yet. Uh, so how can you uh, assail the delicious reefer of the 70s? Anyway, the whole, here's the point. Never once did I even experiencing anything remotely like a shortage. 
I never heard anybody uh, like who sold reefer go, oh, sorry, Ben, I'm low on supplies. It may be a couple of weeks. How come the state of Illinois can't get reefer if I got it? Plenty, tons of it in the 70s, D. Please answer that. Well, you had a good dealer back in the day. I've had guys, hey, man, I don't have any right now. Leave me alone. Are, are, are you asking seriously? Yeah. Why, why, why there's going to be a shortage? Yeah. Because they can of. only sell the stuff that's, sell, that's grown here. And they're not going to have enough. Like, it takes like a few months for the plant to actually mature and produce uh, enough you know, I see. To There's sell. the explanation. So okay, it's a good explanation. They oh, can't. Yeah. Uh, they can't. Yeah. Oh, well, that's a good explanation. <laughs> I guess my guy back in the 70s didn't have to worry about where it was going. Okay, good explanation, Maya. All right, now on to the city news here. Man, you should go to work for the city's law department as a spokesperson because you were really good with explanations. Go ahead. <laughs> on to the city news. It looks like the mayor has marijuana on her mind as well. Oh, yeah. I, I saw know. this story. I'm going to be writing about this in the reader. On Monday, Mayor Lightfoot addresses Ben's big issue with the legalization of recreational marijuana. Uh, mayor Lori Lightfoot said Monday that she is, quote, very serious about the city growing its own recreational marijuana to give my, uh, to give minorities a chance to learn the business and share the wealth, a plan the governor's office later praised. Lightfoot said up to $15 million generated by tax increment financing could be used as seed money for the plan to open a, quote, cooperative cultivation center. The rest Wait, is that a joke? Seed money? Get oh, it? Oh, wow. <laughs> Catch him at Zany's this weekend, guys. He's got a million of them. Good Lord. Uh, she said the idea is aimed at overcoming mm, the biggest uh, impediment to minority ownership, access to capital. I'll have some quotes from Lori here. Let me just read a few. Quote, this is a very, very expensive business to get involved with. The basics to be a cultivator requires about a $13 million to $15 million investment. There are not a lot of people that have that, particularly in a market that a lot of banks and traditional lenders won't touch. I think the only way to really crack this nut, no weed joke there, Ben, just crack <laughs> this nut. Sorry. Uh, the only way to really crack this nut is for the city to invest its own resources to get engaged, get diverse entrepreneurs involved in the most lucrative part of the business, which is cultivation. All right. First of all, I think of all the things that the city of Chicago has spent uh, TIF dollars on, I would put at the top of the list. Uh, uh, reefer. So I'd say reefer is probably a better use of TIF dollars than, let's say, just thinking of one thing that pops to mind, uh, Lincoln Yards development. Would I rather see the city spend its TIF dollars helping uh, black people get involved in the sale of legalized reefer? Yes. So I'd rather see it. So I'm totally for this expenditure of TIF dollars uh, way ahead of Lincoln Yards. It said, this is what I'll be writing about in the reader coming up. One of the many things I'll be writing about in the reader. We have a special uh, reefer issue coming yeah, up. Yeah, and I've got, yeah, I've got a good story coming up too. But you're not going to tell your story because... Yeah, it's going to be a surprise. It's a surprise. But anyway, I so I, I, I applaud the mayor. I just want to point something out. Uh, they're proposing to spend fifteen uh, million with an M uh, on helping Black people get a foot up uh, in the, the the sale of recreational uh, marijuana, and they've already approved one point three billion with a B uh, yes. for development. That's billion <laughs> with a B. Yes, thank you, Lori Lightfoot. Billion with a B. One point three billion with a B for uh, the uh, development of Lincoln Yards. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to uh, finally giving a little justice on the issue of recreational reefer or reefer in general for black. 
black people who were unfairly prosecuted all these years in the war on drugs, there's only 15 million. But when it comes to developing an already gentrifying neighborhood that doesn't need a handout in the first place, there's 1.3 billion with a B. Just wanted to point that out, D. More where that came from on Ben's latest Chicago Reader. No, call. I haven't written it yet. It's well, coming it's out this Friday. That's yes. what I'm saying. It's B but, on but the But I wrote the draft it. on the train coming in today. Oh, there we go. That's... Didn't really have Good to, to know. Good yeah. to know that's how you do your writing these yeah. days, Ben. That, that bit of honesty got you nowhere. Well, but, you know, I mean, a writer, wherever you writers write. But there you are. We'll keep you posted on these stories as today's program rolls along. Don't go anywhere, because coming up after this short little break, our Chicago Reader colleague, Maya Dukmasov, is yeah, here. We're going to be talking all things local politics. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Hey, everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. Man, listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent, and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you, people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U-E-L-P-I-A-N-I-S-T dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Rule number one of podcasting, do not eat a cookie, delicious though it may be, right before you come back to the air. <laughs> Maya, these cookies are absolutely delicious. Thank you. Go, what can I say? I'm a great cook. They Maya, are delicious. Maya brought us cookies, everybody. Yes, Maya brought us cookies. Other guests, all right? Come on. Hey, bring some. It's that time of year. Mark Sims always brings you something. I love Mark Sims. But he only comes, like, on, only he's so busy. Ben, I can only come Tuesdays, and I'm really busy. Um, anyway, yes, he does bring lots of stuff, and then Dennis hides it because he doesn't like when we eat on the show. 
Anyway, Maya, uh, what's on your mind? First of all, uh, thank you very much for the cookies. They're mm-hmm. absolutely delicious. Uh, Miles uh, is eating one as well. And Dennis is eating one. Uh, so when we were together on was Sunday, uh, Maya and I were at the Reader Christmas Party. Thank you, Tracy Bang, for that great Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that story, the um, the story about Bill McCaffrey was breaking, just breaking. I didn't even know about it yet because mm-hmm. I'm not a hip on Twitter. And uh, within 24 hours, 48 hours, the story about a publicist who got fired from the city's law department had developed into a story about uh, Mark Flessner, the head of the law department, who apparently isn't quite sure whether he lives in the city of Chicago or Naperville. Now they're swearing up and down that it's the city of Chicago, which means that it's legal as opposed to violating the city's residency requirement. You were ready to take the deep dive on this story right there and then on Sunday. You were yeah. fired up about it. So explain, though. I already talked a little bit about Flesner at the start of the show. Uh, my The little part of the story, that the quirk of the story that I really appreciated, that he voted in the Republican primary of 2018 when he, he took a Republican ballot in 2018 when he was living in Naperville. Hmm. Apparently, uh, J.B. Pritzker was just too radical for him to vote for. Uh, and... Uh, uh, so you have some a lot to say about uh, McCaffrey. So why don't you take the time to uh, uh, take a deep dive into this one? Okay. My actually, before you do that, yeah. uh, we need you to confirm for our YouTube live stream audience that those that these uh, cookies do not have marijuana. <laughs> no, they do not have marijuana on. There you in go, them. live stream. I don't. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> what cook with marijuana? Yeah, that's like a whole other thing. You know, I never. Um, I was never one of those people. So. Um, Anyway, but if, if 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 our YouTube listeners are you know are uh, are in, in, indulging, I can recommend these cookies. It's a wonderful snack in that context. Uh, anyway, so the um, the situation with this with this whole this whole ordeal is very strange. So Bill McCaffrey is not someone the general public probably knows or has ever heard of, but this guy has been in the realm of communications and doing PR for the city of Chicago since like the early 2000s. I actually pulled up his LinkedIn while I was on my way over here. Get a load of this, uh, of this resume. So he, uh, went to, went to Columbia college, local guy. Columbia college Uh, here in the city of Chicago. Yeah. So, um, started working, worked as a reporter, uh, as a stringer for the Associated Press for some years until 2005. And in 2005, he joins, he comes to the city and becomes director of public affairs for the Chicago Department of Consumer Services, which is a department that I feel like I've barely ever heard anything about. All right. But he's there for a couple of years. From there, he moves into a much in my opinion, more significant position in the city, which is that he becomes the director of public affairs for the Department of Buildings. Mm -hmm. All right. There he stays for four years through the tail end of the Daly administration, of the Richard M. Daly administration. And then he goes to uh, be the uh, deputy director 
of communications for the mayor's office mm. all through Rom's first term. So time out. So he was at the buildings uh, at the end of Daly, and then when Rom came in, he moved over. Well, to- it seems like it says that he moved over to the mayor's office in 2010. So maybe he was doing still double, with Daly. double duty for a little bit. Yeah, but then he's there at, at the mayor's office until July of 2014. So all through all through Rom's first term. Got it. All right. From there, he goes to CPS for about a year, and he becomes the head of communications at CPS, 2014-2015. All right. And then in 2015, in October Mm -hmm. of 2015, he moves to the law department. Okay. Now, October of 2015, if you recall, is a very hot time at the city law department. This is a time because this is when the Laquan McDonald tape was revealed Mm -hmm. so so this is so the laquan mcdonald tape uh was was released to the public right around thanksgiving and just really briefly tell people there may be some listeners from out of state don't know the the significance of laquan mcdonald all right well i mean at this point i feel like you know (laughs) all right uh so in 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 october of 2014 uh chicago police officers this, a group of Chicago police officers converge on the southwest side of Chicago in response to a call about uh, a teen supposedly committing burglaries and popping people's tires with a knife. They arrive. Um, this is a 17-year-old boy named Laquan McDonald, and basically they, they, they intercept him in the middle of a street, and one of the cops, Jason Van Dyke, shoots Laquan McDonald 16 times, kills him as... Laquan McDonald was trying to walk away. Mm-hmm. Now, this, 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 I mean, this has been like the most significant news story uh, probably of the last decade in the city of Chicago, if not more. Um, so, but the city kept this under wraps for a year, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they quietly settled uh, uh, with the family of Laquan McDonald and paid them off and through a settlement. They, you know, kept the story out of the press and it was some uh journalism work by our our friend jamie calvin that revealed that actually this was not the shooting did not happen as the city had presented it that in fact that this was like a basically an execution in the middle of the street and once jamie calvin published the story about the autopsy results that had until then not been seen uh another journalist and a freelancer and activist will calloway basically sued to try to get the video from the Chicago Police Department of what happened that night. So they they made a FOIA request that was denied, um, you know, under the, like, the excuse was that there was pending litigation or whatever. And they took, the, they took it to court, and in October of 2015, October, November of 2015, yeah. is when the court decided that the tape was going to have to be released. A judge ruled that the in favor of the uh, FOIA request by uh, Callaway. Now, just to think about this, what, what Maya is saying, every step of the way, the law department was involved in this. Mm-hmm. Every step of the way, from at the very beginning, there's a shooting. The initial uh, story is that Laquan McDonald was in, acting in a threatening manner toward the police officer. Jason Van Dyke was going toward him, uh, and and Jason Van Dyke had to shoot him to protect himself. That was the original story. So, yeah, I don't want to get too bogged down into into 
what the details of the Laquan McDonald shooting were. But the important thing is that, yes, the law department was involved the whole way through. And the tape was released right around Thanksgiving, November um, November 24th, 2015. So Bill McCaffrey starts at the law department in October of 2015, like within a month before this tape is released, basically. Mm-hmm. Now, not not he becomes the director of communications for the law department in that moment now not surprising given that this guy has a lot of experience with the city uh has been through a lot of various crises and unsavory stories for the city has apparently handled that to the city's satisfaction to the satisfaction of two different mayoral administrations so um so yeah so he so he starts in october of 2015 and stays there all the way until uh until Lori Lightfoot's inauguration, basically, almost. He, he's there, this says he's there until April of 2019. And after that, he, um, I mean, I actually don't know why, because he was at the law department until he was fired this past weekend. So I don't know why the dates are what they are. But anyway, point is that I, he's done some, I remember last year, probably last year, yeah, there was a moment when the buildings department no longer had a press person and bill was covering for them because i was calling him for buildings related stuff so but he's been the law department guy for years now and uh weathered a lot of really really difficult politically difficult uh moments for for the authorities in that job so what happened this weekend was we find out over the weekend that bill mccaffrey has been fired and the story that emerges from the mayor's office is that uh, this had something to do with unethical and unprofessional behavior on his part. Now, uh, another the other thing that emerges is that some anonymous source close to McCaffrey, supposedly, this was, this was in the Sun-Times story that I read, I think, uh, or maybe in the trip, but there's all, there, the, the, sort, the, the, the counter story that's supposedly coming from McCaffrey's end of things is is being communicated by an anonymous source that's being cited in the press. So uh, the counter story being that Bill McCaffrey was bringing up some kind of ethics issues to the mayor's office and he got fired afterwards. So on Friday, last Friday, he he was escorted out of uh, off mm. the job by police. Wow, that's deep. Now, this is a guy who's put in like, oh, you know, many, many years with the city to be like escorted off the job on a Friday by police. That's like a kind of firing that's like you want people to know this guy was fired. Mm-hmm. This it almost I told you this at the party. Like it almost feels like you know it's sort of like uh, the Eddie Johnson thing. Like it feels like retribution when somebody's fired in such a you know uh, intense way. Mm-hmm. Intense. So over the weekend we had not heard this whole th- story about Flessner because that was taking shape even uh, through Sunday, mm-hmm. as far as I understand. So what kind ki- what came out yesterday? This is yesterday's paper you've got or today's? This is today's newspaper recalling recounting what happened yesterday. So. Yeah, so yeah, so basically Mark so <laughs> what's emerged is that reporters were digging around uh this issue of of residency mm-hmm. uh that for those who don't who don't know, if you work for the city of Chicago, you're supposed to live in the city of Chicago. No matter what level of the food chain you're at, if you if you receive a paycheck from the city, there's a residency requirement. You're supposed to 
you're supposed to live in the city. So what the what 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 reporters were investigating was that apparently Mark Flessner has this home in Naperville and a condo in the city of Chicago. And for several years in the past, he's claimed a homeowner's property tax exemption on both of the properties. Mm-hmm. Now, according to Illinois state law, you cannot claim a homeowner's exemption anywhere except for the place you live. So you can since you cannot live in two different places, you can you can't claim more than one exemption. Mm-hmm. So apparently it came to light somehow that he was claiming more than one exemption and people were sniffing around and asking about it. Tommy Shubin, in particular, the Chicago Sun-Times reporter, was one who broke it. And Franz Spielman broke the story. Go ahead. Right. So uh, on Monday, I believe, or on Sunday, Lori Lightfoot was having a, co- a press conference in relation to the public libraries now being open on Sundays. Mm-hmm. And she was asked at this press conference about this residency issue and at first what she had said my understanding is that she had at first said that there was no issue with him claiming exemptions in two different places she that said that it was, was totally false right and then later uh it was the, the the new the new kind of line that came out of her office was that he there was a mistake he made a mistake and there was an Flesser accident made a mistake. yes that yeah. he accidentally mm-hmm. claimed these these exemptions in two different places and that he would be paying back the money he erroneously claimed because mistakes happen right so (laughs) what's so interesting is that bill mccaffrey is fired for allegedly behaving in an unethical manner on the eve of it coming out that his boss is doing something not just unethical but i mean potentially illegal like it's illegal yeah i mean you can't you know tell I mean, potential out of that you cannot claim homeowner exemptions on more than one property you only have one home the homeowner exemption is intended to protect property tax homeowners from uh, uh two uh, from property taxes are too high so they give you an exemption they give you a break that you can take advantage of for the home that you live in. The notion is it's not an investment property. It's a place you purchase to live in, so you should not be unduly taxed. So they give you this break. So it's like ten thousand dollars. Well, it, yeah, it, it it's uh, an allowance that you deduct from the amount that you pay. Whatever the point yeah. is, is that you get a break, but you can only use it once, Maybe Maya. Thousand dollars, and yeah. and and it, because if you because you can only have one home. Right. Otherwise, it's a vacation home or an investment property or uh, like a Airbnb thing you got going. But you can only have one home, and having a, a condo in the South Loop to enable you to get around city residency requirements <laughs> does not allow. And it, no, not no, no, no. It would be. It would be the neighbor. Will it? The condo in the South Loop would not be a problem for the residency requirements. The residency. It would be the Naperville house would would be. Right. And what I'm saying is that the homeowner exempt, there's no provision in the homeowner exemption that says, oh, you can claim two homeowner exemptions if one of them is to get around the residency requirement uh, in for the city of Chicago. So you can have a South Loop condo or that says I live in the city of Chicago. If you buy a South Loop condo to say that you actually live in the city of Chicago, then you got to give up your homeowner's exemption in Naperville. And then yeah. the Naperville property becomes something else completely. So essentially, what I'm betting is that homeowners exemption is a little juicier for the Naperville house. They've got higher taxes up there. I'm pretty sure. I do not know. In DuPage County, I do not know. I'm pre- uh, well. I'm I sure. Bet you, well, I don't know. I don't know what the. 
I do Naperville not know the school answer. district. It's probably taking a lot more money out of your property tax bill than the fair the CPS. enough. Uh, anyway, yeah. look, here's the deal, though. The, the thing that's so interesting about all of this mm-hmm. is that Bill McCaffrey is fired in a way that besmirches his reputation. Mm-hmm. Say what you want about, and I'll say what I want about PR people <laughs> that work who are taxpayer paid to spin stories that are protecting people in power in the city government. Okay, I, I don't even think this job should exist. But in my experience and and in the experience of a lot of other people who work in media in the city of Chicago, and we were having this conversation with our colleague Deanna Isaacs on Sunday, who had the same opinion as I do, Bill McCaffrey was a decent dude. Yeah. Now, it, 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 that this is like, you know, this is like, it's like saying the shark with the least sharp teeth. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it's like the, he was do he was doing a lot of covering. His job was to cover for the city before the public before public scrutiny but but i just it's i don't know he never struck me personally as someone who uh like he he always seemed to me like a decent person who 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 played it straight who knew when you know when you call him up first of all he was very responsive and very good at his job so he was an expert at manipulating reporters and public opinion. He was very good at it. And part of, I think, what made him good at it is because he never, he's a smart guy. He was interesting to talk to. And he just made you feel like he was doing whatever he could for you. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you'd call him about stuff and he would make it clear that he thought whatever was going on was bullshit. But, you know, for this or that reason, this is all he can tell you. And this is what the official line but is. But he would and say that off the record. This yeah, is the record. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. This the, the, I've, I had multiple situations with him over the years where I had very long conversations with him, much longer than I've had with any other people in, 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 in that, that do, you know, mm-hmm. flack work for the city about like, actually like the ethics or the problems with what some you know something that was happening and it was clear that he understood what the issue was mm-hmm. but you know he's got the job he's got so that's that's his job well the the, the reason never defensive the, <laughs> the reason why i asked you and i thank you for doing it going back and telling the history of laquan mm-hmm. mcdonald is because the law department was the key player in all that it oversaw absolutely every aspect of the laquan mcdonald uh, case from the moment that uh it happened so you would people would turn to the law department what happened okay well people it, would also turn to the police department absolutely which at the time was outsourcing its pr work to the fop right. and to to pat what's his name um the guy i know who you're talking pat about camden yeah. who just was lying to people right. okay. who was just lie who would stand up in front of cameras and talk on behalf of the police department and just tell lies and for years okay and so here's the problem the problem is that um the law department, the police department, the city of Chicago allowed uh, the, the spokesperson for the Fraternal Order Police to be the public face yes. on the city's and explanation. And that was the primary person who was putting the spin out there about okay. Laquan McDonald. But the city had never pointed, here, in defense of the Fraternal Order Police, the city of Chicago never stepped in and said, we should be saying what happened here. We should be the official spokespeople, not the fraternal order. They were more than happy, the city of Chicago was, under Mayor Rahm and his law department, to let the fraternal order Well, and police. it worked, because look what happened. Everybody knows about all the lies Pat Camden told, and nobody's talking about the you know what Bill McCaffrey did in this picture. All right, so <laughs> we're moving, in, moving into when uh, 
McCaffrey comes to the law department. The law department is the one that settles the, uh, uh, well, it wasn't even a lawsuit. They agree to pay out $5 million or whatever it was, so Quam McDonald's family, so that there is no lawsuit. It's approved. The settlement deal is approved by the Chicago City Council. Uh, at the time, there was already talking that talk that there was a tape out there that existed, and uh, the city of Chicago did not reveal what was on the tape. The city of Chicago uh, did not reveal the tape, release the tape. And as you pointed out, they fought the release of the tape. This is something that the law department was uh, overseeing from start to finish. Right. And so it's so bizarre. No, but he- it, let me just, it's like all those things are happening. And the guy is fired two years later for what? This is my point. Uh, yeah. This guy is very good at his job. This is the guy that you put in charge of your law department when the shit hits the fan with the with the Laquan McDonald tape. All right. So that is like a person that what like if you if if you <laughs> you want a guy like that on your team, right? And sure enough, like two mayoral administrations, you know, he made it through daily from the early 2000s made it through both administration both term both of Rom's terms this guy's good at his job mm-hmm. and he gets fired now for supposedly doing something unethical and unprofessional a couple of days before it comes to light that his boss is <laughs> you know apparently you know doing something that may be possibly unethical and unprofessional mm-hmm. and illegal, yeah. you know, and who gets, who, who loses his job? Cause in other situations like this, the, the, the these news stories about this, uh, Flessner situation, they keep bringing up the fact that like, s- there was like s- the director of the aviation department who stepped down because it was found out that she was claiming, you know, she was, yeah, she was, she was not living in the city of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So in past instances, like people have left their jobs or lost their jobs over this. Mark Fressler still has his job, yeah. who was, by the way, like the, the head of the Lori Lightfoot for Chicago, like fundraising operation. Those people are like the most important people to the person that gets elected. So this guy doesn't lose his job, but Bill McCaffrey loses his job and loses his job in a way that will make it very hard for him to work again. Mm-hmm. And not this, only, you know, and like, not only <laughs> that, let, let's let, well, there's a couple issues that you've raised. I really want to uh, delve into one is what do publicly funded PR people uh, what's their worth and value? Let's, well, you, apparently, you, what is it, like $125,000? That's not what I mean. I mean, their worth and value to the public. Uh, and then the uh, the response that Lori Lightfoot gave, when reporters asked questions to raise issues and tweeted... Oh, this is what I... Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So I want to I I just read this. So this is in the Sun-Times story. Mm-hmm. Uh, so people... So the reporters were asking about you know, McCaffrey being fired and challenging her on that at that press conference that was supposed to be about the library is being open on Sundays. And she said, uh, so I'm now reading the Sun-Times story. This is the same thing you had on your, in front of you there, Mm -hmm. I think. Uh, A visibly angry Lightfoot also scolded the news media for taking information from anonymous single sources (laughs) and running with it in defense of McCaffrey, whom she called your buddy. Yeah. I've seen the Twitter play of some of you over the course of the weekend. This is a quote from Lightfoot. And I have to say, I'm disappointed that on the basis of a single source unnamed that you all are putting this out as if it's true, Lightfoot said. Obviously, Bill McCaffrey was your buddy. 
but I hope that we are not getting to a new standard in media here in Chicago where we have a bunch of unnamed sources. There's no other information provided. They're throwing out a bunch of chum on the water and people are biting at it as if it's the truth because the things that have been put out that I've seen are demonstrably false and could easily be proven so could be proven so with a little bit of diligence, which I would assume reporters who are serious about this would do. Your thoughts on that? I mean, why does Mark Flessner still have a job? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, what, like, I, I, wh- how high up the food chain do you have to be to where claiming double property tax exemptions is like something that you say, oh, I'm sorry, like, I'll pay it back and face no other consequences, yeah. you know? Uh, They also keep throwing it out there that he hasn't even paid his property taxes yet and hasn't claimed any exemptions in 2019 uh, or hasn't. Yeah, hasn't. I don't know if if they're saying he hasn't paid them, but he hasn't claimed any exemptions in 2019. But I just I guess like the scenario that I'm imagining for all of this is that because it's also like why like you hire a spokesperson when they when they like when they fuck up what they tell the public in that sense. Like you, you hire a spokesperson when they fail, you, you fire a spokesperson when they fail to toe the line on what the story is that you're putting out, when they say the wrong thing, when they, when they, when they, when they fail, when they fail in the spin doctoring that they're supposed to do out there. We hadn't even heard the story about Flessner when McCaffrey was fired. Mm-hmm. So was it that, I mean, maybe McCaffrey was the one who leaked the information about the taxes. Maybe it was that. Maybe it was that reporters started calling him about this and he rolled up to his boss and said, like, what are we going to do about this? This seems like a problem for you. And, you know, mm-hmm. Lesnar and Lightfoot and her people got defensive about it. And they, you know, but I don't know. She keeps saying that he was behaving in an unprofessional manner, like what can a PR person who's survived this long in the city covering for so many horrendous scandals mm-hmm. and excusing all manner of like ridiculous <laughs> city policies and decisions, yeah. <laughs> what is like, what is the unprofessional conduct he could, I also just in general, everything I've personally experienced or heard about the guys that this is, this, this guy's like a decent guy. Yeah. So what kind of unprofessional behavior could it possibly be? Okay. You've raised a lot of questions. I just got to put this out there. I, I didn't know him. I, I don't. I can't recall if I've, I'd have to go back and look at emails to see if you had an exchange with him all these years. Uh, but I have my issues in general with Flax for the city because in, in the abstract, and I realize as soon as I say this, it's going to sound very idealistic and naive. In the abstract, their job is to provide public information. So the public has a question. No, they're... <laughs> I, I, but in the abstract, right. right? But the way it works in the city of Chicago, they essentially either block act public access to information that the public should have, sort of like the FOIA law, or they put spin out there that uh, confuses the public, misleads the public, and uh, essentially is acting as a public relations arm of whoever yeah, the boss I mean, is, the mayor is. It's not just the city of Chicago. This is how PR this works everywhere. This is how everywhere. PR works everywhere. So, and I'm particularly, when it's a publicly funded apparatus, like government, the city of Chicago, the state of Illinois, I might, I you know, I understand how the world works, Maya, so I don't make a big deal about it, but 
it is a little annoying, and particularly when you're a reporter dealing with someone who's being a complete jerk and making your life more difficult, it just aggravates the situation knowing that you as a resident of the city of Chicago pay this person's salary. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, so, but anyway, based on what you said and uh, and what other reporters have tweeted out, uh, this, this gentleman was as professional as he could be, as helpful as he could be uh, within the confines of that role that he has, knowing that his job, he's an at-will employee, he could be fired at any minute mm-hmm. without a recording. Uh, so he has to f- play the political game of his bosses, and his bosses have changed. As you pointed out, went from Rom to Lori. But the notion that this is our buddy. Yeah, like, that's the point. This, that's like so insulting because like we're not, I mean, he, he there's, there's like two, there's like two PR people who work for local government who I would say anything positive about on a human level and and Bill McCaffrey is one of them. And like even so, I would never I would never describe this as if he and we are on the same side of things. Like he's not our buddy. Like his job is to keep information from us and to put spin on information that's most favorable to the city. Like it's an adversarial relationship always. He just always treated it with the with the sort of understanding that he knows he's playing a game and you and he knows you know he's playing a game. And so I don't know, he just seemed to me like the kind of person that was like, you know, at least didn't treat you like you didn't clearly know what he was doing, you know? Uh and which is more than I can say for like most other PR people that represent the city. Um so, you know, this, he's not our buddy. Like in fact, I think maybe she's defensive about this and saying stuff like this because she doesn't like the fact that like there are reporters in the city who are coming out and saying positive things about the guy, like which is you know pretty pretty astounding. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I have to point out it is uh, I always get defensive when uh, elected officials beat up on the press. Uh, and uh, I, I just, it's an instinctive reaction I have, so I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm being what, what do you think we were supposed to get? All we do is beat up on them all day long. Yeah, so, okay, so, you know, they get, they get their opportunity to come back. Fair enough, fair enough. But uh, I do get a lot, I'm just putting that out there. I'm a, I'm a human being. But I just want to point out that uh, Lori Lightfoot immediately counterattacked the press and uh, saying that on Twitter they were putting out uh, erroneous statements that could be uh, easily uh, proved wrong if you just did a little investigation. She's the one who put out the biggest erroneous statement when she told uh, the press that Tom Shuba and Fred Spielman got it wrong when they said, oh boy, was claiming two yeah, homeowners exemptions. Yeah, when she said it was completely false that he totally claimed two false. exemptions. Yeah. That's totally false. So it, on one level, I'm impressed that Lori Lightfoot could, at the same press conference, you know, denounce the the press for putting out false statements while, while putting out false, <laughs> false statements. <laughs> you got to give her credit. I mean, I mean, honestly, though, like <laughs> this, this whole situation with the firing, like mm, he must have done something to really piss him off. And I really can't think of what it could have possibly been other than either he he leaked the story about Flesner or when he got called about it he like didn't deny it hard enough or didn't handle questions about it with enough, you know, uh, I don't know, force or just 
didn't didn't put them off the scent intent like well enough you know i i just uh i can't i it just feels like that was maybe something that was going on now that's not even based on one anonymous source that's literally conjecture i'm just i'm just i'm just shooting the shit here but it just seems weird seems weird yeah well i gotta tell you that um uh it's it's one of those stories that i think that uh most people out in the in the world are not paying attention to obviously or if they do they don't understand why it matters it matters to reporters who've dealt uh, uh with McCaffrey and and have an appreciation for how he did his job which is I don't think there's anything wrong with that you know buddy buddy I don't I don't think there's a conflict of interest it's very hard to have an appreciation for for someone who does a job you have no appreciation for I mean there's all jobs have dignity but this is a really, this is a, it's, we live in a sick world that makes this a job. Like, go, talk about and, that. Go, go a little more. I mean, it's just, it's, it's the same thing you said. It's like, it's ta- like we're paying, our tax dollars are going to fund someone whose job it is to like prevent access to information, to spin information, to protect people in authority. I mean, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, well, how, what would a world without PR people look like? And I mean, this is like a relatively recent thing. This is like, you know, I don't think that there were like, it was like standard practice to have communications, uh, managers for municipal government until probably like what, like the seventies or the eighties or something like that. Um, you know, he, (laughs) It's like if you if you get elected to do this work, if you get appointed to do this work, like you should be making your own explanations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, of course, then, you know, it's an issue of like how much can one person take on and you need assistance and you need to delegate responsibilities and blah, 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 blah. And there's a way you talk to the media and whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should have David Axelrod on here talking about this. But uh, but like it, it's just a, it's a job that. um it's also quite sad that often this is a job that's done by former reporters. And I, and if we didn't live in a world in which the media was like constantly shrinking and journalism was devalued, like maybe they wouldn't have to be going to do PR. But I think that, uh, it's, it's, it's just a, yeah. And I I think a lot of people struggle probably personally with doing the work too. Well, I can tell you, uh, just dealing with the city of Chicago, because that's that's what I mostly mm. dealt with, not dealt with the federal level or the state level. The the big change with how the uh, press uh, handlers, that's what they were. We've always had press handlers since in the city of Chicago. They existed under Richard J. Daley. Uh, when I first came to Chicago, started reporting, they existed under Jane Byrne, and they existed under Harold Washington. But um, there was a fundamental change that occurred soon after Richard M. Daley. Uh, took office. And I remember I, I lived through it, uh, Maya. And uh, Daly did a press, did a study of press operations, or he had some um, PR firm do a study of press operations. And they came to the conclusion, <laughs> only in Chicago, that the, the most ineffective thing about press communications, uh, as it was practiced by uh, Harold Washington and Eugene Sawyer, uh, is they weren't streamlined. They wanted absolutely everything, all messaging to go out through the mayor's office. That was Mayor Daly's invention. And Mayor Rahm took it to another 
uh, degree. Everything has to be funneled through the um, mayor's office. So I, this in the old days under Harold Washington, if you had, and under Jane Byrne, uh, if I had a, a, a question about city policy, I would call the appropriate press officer. And that person, I know this just sounds so bizarre, would give me whatever information they had on the issue. And um, under Mayor Daley, suddenly I, I countered this. Let me get back to you. And so let's say I called someone at the uh, school board, the press officer at the school board, to, to ask about school policy. It's like, let me get back to you. It's interesting. And so that I've question, never not lived in a world in which let me get back to you is the first thing you hear from a public information yeah, officer. So, and so, and so it mm. would be like they would go to the mayor's office and tell the PR handlers and the spin people at the mayor. Troy LaRavier has walked into the building. So here's, I'll give an example. He, it, he can comment on this when he comes on. When uh, Troy LaRavier uh, was let go from his job as a principal and I called the Chicago Public Schools for a comment, now this is what it's evolved to. They wouldn't even call me back. Yeah. You would get, I would get uh, a very brief a message emailed to me from their press person. So there couldn't even be a give or take. Back in the day, I would call a press person. We would actually have a give or take, and it sounds ancient history, on the record. And then if they felt like there was something they really wanted me to know, but they didn't want to be attached to it, well, let me go off the record on this thing. But this more- is what it was like to talk to Bill, in my experience. Okay. There are people, I mean, being at the reader, I don't know if you experienced this, or maybe this is just my relatively unimportant stature in the ecosystem of journalists here, but like there are certain people that never return my calls. Like all through the Rahm Emanuel administration, I never got a response from a single communications person from the mayor's office. I have never not gotten a call back from Bill on any story, Mm -hmm. no matter how small and no matter how like green I was in, in my career well, you were probably pay, paying a price for me uh, because <laughs> it's been that way with me and uh, Mayor Rom from the get-go. Uh, and it was that way with me and most of Mayor Daly's uh, PR people. It makes it easy when they don't call you back because yeah, then, you know, you don't have to worry about putting their bullshit into the story. But Bill... This is why this is what I'm saying. He's good at his job because then he he, he like developed this personal rapport with you. Mm-hmm. And then you were like, well, you know, you can't you're not going to he clearly put in the time and effort to 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 tell the city side of things and to level with you. And then you felt kind of, you know, you felt like it would be like your job was to also give him the space in the story to, to say what he's got to say. This is why, like, it's just wild to me that what could he have possibly done that they want to sacrifice someone who's that good at their job? I don't know. But it's wild. I, it, uh, but it, uh, these are public servants, publicly paid, and essentially, for the last 30 years, various mayors of the city of Chicago, from Daly to Rom to Lori, have turned this into a message machine. So there's a message of the day. So if Troy LaRavier is fired, there's a message about Troy LaRavier being fired. If, uh, oh boy, Bill McCaffrey is fired, there's a message about Bill McCaffrey being fired. If uh, you discover that the Corporation Council actually lives in Naperville uh, when he's supposed to live because of residency requirements uh, in the city of Chicago, there's a message. Maybe he went off message. 
That's what they call it. You going off message. Going off message. Yeah. And uh, an, I'm pretty and sure that's why, an Axelrod term. Yeah. And, and that's why I admit I'm, I'm, I realize what I'm about to say is naive. I realize what I'm about to say is unduly idealistic. I realize what I'm about to say does not exist in the real world, but I'm gonna say it anyway. That's why I find it so offensive that public employees whose job it is to to disseminate public information about what's going on have turned into message shapers for the public officials uh, who elected them. And they're at-will employees who could be fired at the whim of the, the mayor if they go off message. And they're not supposed to do that. But, you know, it's like everything else. It's like... Oh, Ben, you're being idealistic. Oh, Ben, that's the way the world works. And I just have always... We should probably put it out there that if Bill McCaffrey wants to talk to someone about what really happened to him, we're, we're here for you, Bill. <laughs> Tell us your story. <laughs> All right. Get a PR person to represent you. Why do you think he's not talking? That's Troy no, Larabia. No, he's ta- somebody's talking. That, no. uh, whoever that anonymous source is, I trust Fran and and Tommy Shuba d- d- enough that whoever that anonymous person is, it's not just some random person in a place to call. They know who that is, and they feel like they he that no, person knows. You're saying why he's not talking publicly? Is that what you're saying? Well, you say this, I mean, I was going to bring this on after my left, after we take a break, but Troy Larabia is in the studio. This was a big issue, uh, Troy, when when they fired you. And uh, there were all these whispering things and, and people putting stuff out there. Well, how long yeah, did it take you that. to start talking in response to their story about you? Because um, it's been lonely since Friday. I was kind of immediate with some stuff, but my attorneys kept telling me to be quiet. Uh, I mean, it's only so been it took since about Friday. a month and a half for me to come out with an extensive public statement. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I the guy gets fired on Friday, escorted off the job with cops, like maybe he's drinking all weekend. You know what I mean? Like how... <laughs> Wait a minute, she's just joking. I'm just saying, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah. like, you question. know, the, the you, point, you, you yeah. just got fired. Like, who knows what you do the weekend after you get fired from after working somewhere since 2005. No, I can tell like, you this. You know what I mean? Like, maybe he's just not, you know... <laughs> I can tell you this. Uh, as the guy in the room most recently fired of anyone, uh, when I was fired, it was like a shock... Uh, you weren't accessible for like days afterwards. Well, wait. Okay. I couldn't reach you for like two or three days. Okay. You weren't answering texts or calls or anything. Yeah, you were was, overwhelmed would, by questions. Uh, questions. Everybody's calm. But I have to point this out. My uh, my kids every year have a big party. All right. And uh, we're they come back into Chicago. They're all grown, but they come back to Chicago. All their friends uh, converge in my house. So it was like hundreds of millennials in my house the day after i was fired i had to open the door and let them all in and they're every single one of them are like oh man i'm really sorry to hear you know hug me and feel so it's uh it's tough you get fired there's a lot of emotions that you have and uh use a lot you go through these this this process it's like there's anger uh there's denial you just go through all these different emotions so i can understand why he would not want to just yeah, and maybe he's, I mean, maybe he's contemplating a lawsuit. Like, maybe, you know what I mean? Like, maybe he's got lawyers advising him, too. It could be all kinds of, I mean, it's, and again, it's been like three days, so. I remember, Troy, your, the press conference you did have when you finally went public with it. It was at a restaurant in uh, Wishbone, wasn't it? Yep, Wishbone and, in Lakeview. And, yeah, it was at Wishbone on Lincoln Avenue, and and, uh, and I remember it very clearly. It was like every reporter in town came, and. Yeah, that was fine. Uh, 
So, listen, I, I don't know the man, uh, Bill McCaffrey. I do not. I, I don't believe I've ever met him. I may find an email from him, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I just find whatever he did, I wonder how bad it could be in contrast to his boss uh, claiming two homeowner exemptions and then saying, oh, it was a mistake. <laughs> Come on, man, you're a lawyer. Oh, yeah. God, he made the mistake. It's going to come out eventually. Yeah. Well, anyway, all right, Maya, uh, I know you won't be here next week, correct? Or the week after. Wow, dang, no one told me about the week after, No, huh? I told you about the week after. Oh, I don't remember. Anyway, well, have a great uh, <laughs> Merry Christmas and a Happy New yeah, Year and all those good things. And uh, But we will be here mm-hmm. next Tuesday, right, D? Absolutely, and thanks for the non-weed cookies. Oh, yes, yeah. uh, and, and maybe Just, give one to Troy before we leave. Yeah. Uh, we have some delicious cookies that Maya made. Oh, cool. All right, uh, we're going to uh, let Maya leave. I can't turn a cookie down. Yeah, well, I don't blame you, neither can I. And we'll take a break and be right back. Are with you Troy. the same cookie? Mm-hmm. With Troy LaRabia, I'll be right back. Did you know that 40% of the people in Illinois opt to be cremated? Well, it's true. And Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. One more time. ChicagolandCremationOptions.com. It's Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. The Ben Jarofsky Show is supported by Northwestern University's part-time master's program in literature and liberal studies. Students learn from dynamic and diverse faculty as they build advanced skills for critical analysis, writing, and research. Evening classes are held on Northwestern's Evanston and Chicago campuses. The spring quarter application deadline is January 15th. Learn more at sps.northwestern.edu slash masters. How did you go from sharing stories over the years to deciding to write a book? Good question, Mayor. Good question. Madam Secretary, you talk a lot about um, the mothers of your friends, where you went to their houses and you knew that they were going to be kind and generous and supportive of you. So that, that theme of women being present and how they make a difference, um, talk a little bit about that and, and how that, again, animated some of the, the selections that you made of people in the book. That's a great question, Mayor, because um, I wanted to include uh, women who I could distinctly remember the impact that they had on me. And, you know, obviously historical figures. I, I, you know, I never knew Helen Keller or Anne Frank or Maria Tallchief or Amelia Earhart, but as a little girl, they made a big impression on me.